Father in heaven, we just thank you so much again for the Sabbath, for heaven. Lord, for reminding us about the things that ultimately matter. Lord, we just pray and ask that as we hear another message, God, you'd keep us alert, that our hearts would be open to what you are personally saying to us. God, that we would have discerning ears to be able to understand and grasp the things of God for our lives. Thank you, Lord, for being with us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are now up. Okay, how many people have their Bibles? Put your Bibles in the air and smile next to the person who doesn't have a Bible, right? We're going to be nice. We're going to be nice, right? So if you, have, if you don't have a Bible, sit next to somebody who does. If you have a Bible, sit next to somebody who doesn't, right? Because we need to get into the Word of God today. You know, when you actually go into the world, you do a lot of evangelism, you come across a lot of different kinds of people, right? You say, well, no duh, right? Well, no, let me be a little bit more specific. When you're doing evangelism, you come across a diversity of opinions about God. Even when you do these evangelistic series, which I do multiple times throughout the year, people oftentimes will come to me with their experiences about God, and they will say something like this, I think this about God. I feel this about God. I have this uh, sort of uh, just attraction to God. I like these things about God. But you know, when you actually study out the scripture, God does not want you to start with your thoughts about God. When you actually come to God, he wants you to come to him with his thoughts about you. In fact, that is something that we need to understand more and more of. God doesn't want us to begin with our thoughts about Him. He wants us to begin with His thoughts towards us. So what are God's thoughts towards us? Notice this beautiful promise. Sometimes a promise that we hear from a little old lady in church. And she'll oftentimes say things like this. She says, do you know God has plans for your life? Right? You might have heard that before. But friends, I want you to understand that she is not just simply making these things up. The Bible tells us something so incredible with the thoughts of God. And this is the first place we need to start. For I know the what? Thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Now let's stop right there. God is actually affirming himself. He's saying, look, I know what I'm thinking. In other words, what I'm about to tell you is really in my heart. So what is God actually thinking about you? For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the who? Lord, Lord thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a what so what are God's thoughts towards us if this is the first place we need to start with God God wants us to start with his thoughts about us so what are his thoughts about us thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope what's the implication that, the, that really outside of God, there really is no hope or real future. Friends, I bring this up because this is God's desire for all of humanity. And what we're going to be learning today is the story of a, a very interesting individual. Do you know how when we study out the scriptures, we understand who God is? You're saying, will we understand who God is from the reading of the Bible? No, we understand who God is from the stories that are found in the Bible. And these stories contain the lives of individuals. So in other words, we know something about God from the life of Abraham. 
We know something about God from the life of Elijah. We know something about God from the life of Paul. God uses people to communicate who he is. And so the Bible is more than a collection of stories. It's a collection of lives, of testimonies. And I say this because part of eternity is that we're going to be able to share our story with others. And when someone is lost, that particular angle of who God is, is lost as well. Because the individual, beautiful, particular angle we get about who God is from the life of Abraham cannot be found in any other life. We get a particular angle of who God is from the life of Elijah or from the life of Moses. And so when one of, the, you know, one of God's people are lost, it's a really big deal. It really is a big deal. And so friends, what we're going to be learning today is what God's desire is for humanity. We're going to be looking at the life of a very special individual. His name is Joseph. By the way, if you've been noticing recently, there has been a whole slew of Christian movies that have been coming out. You've been noticing it, right? This isn't coming from some low-budget Christian film director out of his garage. This is actually coming out of big Hollywood production teams, right? You have powerful, move, great, I don't say powerful, great movie stars, experienced individuals that are stepping into biblical roles. But when you actually watch these movies, do you know what you find? What do you find? Do you find a beautiful depiction of who Moses is by Christian Bale? Do you feel like Russell Crowe accurately portrays Noah? I mean, do you find these things? You know when you actually look at these Hollywood movies, and then you come across and you're thinking, why do they have to keep changing the script, right? Why do they have to keep adding CGI? Why do they have to completely manipulate the entire story? Here is the number one reason why. And that is this, because, friends, you can't duplicate real faith. You can't act it out. And so they have to introduce a change in the story. They have to introduce CGI. Because this kind of stuff, friends, doesn't happen in real life. But the reality is, it does. And so when we're studying out the Bible, we can learn about powerful men and women. One of these men and women, his name is Joseph. Now, do you know how, Joseph, how old Joseph was? Joseph's dead, by the way. Hope you understand that, right? Right? Joseph's dead. But at the age of 17, something took place in his life. Something unusual took place. At what age? Don't forget that age. What age? We're going to come back to that. He was 17 years old. At 17 years old, because of the things that happened in his family, he was betrayed. Right? We know the story. He then was taken to Egypt. Now, there's something to understand about this young man, Joseph. Joseph was somebody who was a bit spoiled growing up. He was somebody who lived a very charmed life. Things seemed to be very good for him. But the age of 17, an unusual circumstance took place that put him in some very negative encounters of life. The Bible tells us he was then taken down to Egypt. We know the story. His brothers betrayed him, threw him in a pit. Some of them were going to kill them, but some intervened. Some Ishmaelite traders came by and they said, we'll just sell him to Egypt. And there, this is where Genesis 39.1 uh, takes place. Now Joseph had been taken down to what? Egypt. 
Egypt. Now you can just imagine this scene as he's just being taken away, you know, led by these Ishmaelite trader or Ishmaelite traders. And as he's being taken away, he's looking off in the distance. His head is looking back, and there he can see the hills of where his father's tent is. And he doesn't know if he ever is going to if he's ever going to see them again. His brothers don't like him. And so you can just imagine the entire world of Joseph comes crashing down at this moment. Now, why is this important? Because it's very interesting. Joseph does something amazing. Take your Bible. Let's go to Genesis 39.1. Genesis 39.1. And let's start with verse 1 again. Now Joseph had been taken down to what? Egypt. Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Now this is such a key part. The Lord was with who? Joseph. Joseph. And he was a successful man. He was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. And that the Lord made all that he did prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight. And served him. He made him overseer of his house, and all that he had was put under his authority. This is such an amazing point because what you begin to discover about Joseph, Joseph grows where he's planted. You see, Joseph, when he was just brought into this circumstance where now he was sort of at the, the bottom of the totem pole, he was a slave. And by the way, in the Bible, a slave was the worst thing you could be. It was the worst thing you could be. In fact, God starts off the Ten Commandments by saying, Look, I got you out of slavery. But for Joseph, now he's thrust into this position. And here he is all alone. But he makes a decision. Do you know what his decision is? He is going to grow where he is planted. And so Joseph begins working hard. He begins honoring the Lord. And something happens because of Potiphar's wife. By the way, if you read a few verses right before Potiphar's wife starts trying to seduce him, do you know what it says about Joseph? He was in the field working. Why is that important? You know, they noticed something. There was a survey done about why soccer players are so attractive to women. <laughs> what does this have to do with Joseph? Two reasons. Number one, they get plenty of exercise. And number two, they're out in the sun. Not sweating, but they're out in the sun, <laughs> getting a nice tan. And so here Joseph is, working, you know, probably becoming a little bit more toned, right? Potiphar's wife starts looking at him, and a test takes place, and we know the story. What happens? What happens next to him? Well, he gets betrayed, and Potiphar, not knowing what to do, says, you know, we're just going to put him in prison. And the Bible then tells us something interesting about this place where Joseph was now placed in. Now he was a prisoner. He had gone from being a slave and now he was a prisoner. But do you know what Joseph does when he becomes a prisoner? He grows where he's planted. Now why am I bringing this up? Because when Joseph finally reached the place of success, his previous experiences had prepared him. 
Did you know that the entire workforce of Egypt consisted of two groups of people? Slaves and prisoners. Slaves and prisoners. Now, what didn't look like the path of success for Joseph was actually God's intention for Joseph. You see, when Joseph would be commanding the building of granaries, and when he would be involved in all the things that would take place in Egypt, God needed Joseph to go through some humbling experiences. But those things were preparation for what God had in store for him. You know, Ellen White says something amazing here. She says something powerful, and I think very practical. She says this, So today, while the humble worker for God is following his what? Following his what? Employment. Employment. Angels of God stand by his side, listening to his words, knowing the matter in which his work is done, to see if larger responsibilities may be what? Entrusted to his hands. By the way, do you know the parable of the talents? It's one of the last parables Jesus gives right before um, you know, he's crucified. Do you remember the first person in the parable of the talents? He had, or the last person, he had one talent. How many talents did he make? Yeah, he lost it. The, the guy that had two talents, how many talents did he make? He made two more. The guy that had five talents, how many talents did he make? Wrong. He made six. He made six in the end. You see, he was given an additional talent that he wasn't expecting. You see, this is so important because here you have what Ellen White's saying. She's saying, look, when God's people grow where they're planted, when they're faithful in honoring God and say, look, if this is where I'm at, I'm going to do the best I can to honor the Lord. You'll see what God does for you in time. You know, I've been so blown away with the work ethic of Joseph. And I say this because there's a generation today that doesn't really know what hard work is all about. You know what I'm talking about? I used to be a youth pastor. And I remember my car tire went flat. One of my youth kids was with me. And I was like, okay, this is the time to teach this man a lesson. We walked outside and I said, man, what are we going to do? The tire's flat. And he's like, well, we need to change it. I'm like, okay. So what do we do? And he's like, do you have a jack? And I'm like, yeah, it's in the trunk. And so he gets the jack out. And he starts pulling the jack out, right? He gets it on the butt near the car. And he starts turning it and he's like, ow, ow, ow. I'm like, what are you owing about? And he's like, there's ants that are biting me. And I'm like, keep turning that wrench. And he's like, ah. And he's like, I can't do it. I'm like, you've got to figure out a way right now. And he's like, okay. He stands back up. And then he uses his weight, right? And he finally gets that thing loose. But I say this because, I mean, we're dealing with people who don't know what hard work is. And I mean, this is important because we're going somewhere with this. And here Joseph is. Much of his life, he lived a very charmed life. He wasn't used to hard work. He wasn't used to trials. By the way, and this is very relevant, I read this research paper that described two different kinds of children. The children of the wealthy, especially doctors, and the children of poor people, people who were below the poverty line. And when they tested these two groups of people, do you know what group of people they found to be more intelligent? The children that came from parents 
who are below the poverty line. You're saying, why is that? The children of the doctors weren't used to hard work. They were given a silver spoon. Now, hopefully this isn't true from Loma Linda medical students and doctors. Amen? <laughs> but I'm saying this to you because it's through adversity, it's through poverty, it's through struggle that we actually grow. That we actually learn to confront issues. We learn to problem solve. You see, Joseph was learning with these things during these trials of being a slave, then being a prisoner, one of the, the bottom of the totem pole. Yet it was through these environments God was using Joseph and preparing Joseph for the big things. You know, and, I, and this is important because sometimes God takes us through a detour. Sometimes He doesn't give us the things right away that we try to work hard for. You know, there are many people today, they just follow A to B to C to D, and then they get what they want. But then when God's people attempt to do things, sometimes it's like, okay, I do A, then B. Okay, why am I having to go back to A? Okay, you go to A, then you go to B, then you go to C. Like, why do I have to keep going back all the way to A right here? And we find God keeps bringing us back. Friends, because what God is trying to do, He's trying to make you responsible for the success that's going to come in the future. And so as God was preparing Joseph for success, he was leading him through trials, through times that were humbling him, times of obstacles. And it was through these experiences God was doing amazing things. By the way, what is so amazing about the life of Joseph, do you know the very first dream he was given? What was the very first dream he was given? He had this very magnificent dream where he saw things bowing down to him, right? He saw himself exalted. Why is that important? Do you know the very second thing he does when he encounters a dream or the second time he encounters a dream? It's not his own dream. It's the dream of who? The cupbearer and the baker. Do you another, know another time that he encounters a dream? Pharaoh's dream. Now, why is that important? It's when Joseph helped other people with their dreams that his dream was finally fulfilled. It was only as he went to go help the cupbearer and the baker with the situations in their lives and their dreams and then with the Pharaoh that ultimately God used those circumstances to fulfill his dream. Friends, this is so important. When we are looking at success right here, you are seeing it right here by a man who was humbled, but willing to grow where he was planted, to work hard, to throw in everything, and to honor God through it all. He was learning the lesson of selfless love, of bringing glory and honor to God. This wasn't about himself. And Joseph proved himself to ultimately be a man of God. Now it's very interesting, because when it comes for us, when it comes to us, in trying to understand, okay, God, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. We have a prescription here that I really believe is super important. It's found in the book Education. This is such a powerful quote and very practical. We need to follow more closely God's what? Wait a minute, we talked about plans. Okay, what about plans right here? God's plan of life. Okay, God, what's the plan of life? To do our best in the work that lies nearest, comma, to commit our ways to God, comma, and to watch for indications of His providence. These are rules. By the way, what's another word for rule? Law. These are laws. Well, what kind of laws are they? These are rules that ensure safe guidance in the choice of an occupation. 
You see, friends, this is super important. You see three principles here. What are the three principles? To do our best in the work that lies near us. Was that Joseph? You better believe it, right? He committed his ways to God. You better believe it. And notice the third thing. He watched for indications of his providences. And when he applied these rules, what he began to notice were patterns. And these patterns served as a sort of signpost. And the signpost was pointing in a certain direction. Friends, when we begin to apply these principles in our life, and we begin to see certain opportunities God will continually open up. It's like, why, do, why does this opportunity keep opening up for me? Take it as a kind of signpost that God may be directing you towards something in that field. You know, there's a lot of people today, especially a lot of young adults. What do I do with my life? I don't know where I'm going to go, right? I'm going to keep going to school till I'm 85 years old, right? And by the time they get out of school, they don't even have a degree. They don't know what direction they're going, and they have $400,000 debt. Right? But see, we need to start applying these principles to our lives. Okay, what are these principles? To do our best in the work that lies near us. Okay, God, I want to do any opportunity you give to me. What is that around me? What is it that you've already given to me? Then, number two, I'm going to commit my ways to God. Every single day I'm saying, Lord, I'm giving you my future. I'm giving you my future. I'm giving you my future. Then number three, you're going to be open to the providences of God. What's God up to right now? Wait a minute. Is he just doing something over there? Is something happening over there? And these are rules. Rules, Ellen White say, that ensure safe guidance in the choice of an occupation. And that's so important because when I went to college, I thought to myself, okay, I know what I'm going to do. All my sisters went straight to the university. I had this brilliant idea. I was like, I'm going to go to community college. Then I'll transfer to some university. I spent four years in the community college. Four years. You want to know why? I didn't know what I was doing with my life. I had no clue. I had no understanding. I had no direction, no guidance. And if I had known this at that time, it would have saved me a lot of trouble. Friends, we've been given beautiful counsel. God doesn't leave us without guidance. And the same God who led Moses, who led the Israelites, who leads his people, leads you. God will still bless you. Amen? And this is powerful. Now let's continue with this, okay? The Bible then says this about Joseph's experience. Here he was as a prisoner. And something unusual happens at the highest government at that time. Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a what? Had a dream. Do you remember what his first dream was? What was his first dream? He sees seven healthy stalks of corn. And then what does he see next? Seven unhealthy stalks of corn, right? And it withers away the good corn. And then he has another dream. Do you remember what his dream was, the second one? He sees some healthy cows. And then he sees some emaciated cows. And what do the emaciated cows do to the healthy cows? They start devouring them. And Pharaoh wakes up in a cold sweat. What in the world is that? So then he calls all his Jedis and Harry Potters. They all come to him. And he says, look, what does this dream mean? And none of them can answer. And so you know what happens? God uses that problem. This is where it gets interesting. God uses that problem to now exalt Joseph. Joseph comes in. And do you remember what Joseph said? This is what the Bible says right here. God uses Joseph, first of all, 
to tell him what the dream meant. Do you remember what that dream meant? Seven years of plenty would come upon the land of Egypt and seven years of what? Famine. By the way, when you study out the Old Testament, do you know what famines meant in a land? Do you know what famines meant in the land? Judgment. Judgment. Now, did Joseph stop right there with the dream and say, seven years of famine are coming upon you. God bless you. <laughs> Is that what he does? What does Joseph do at that moment? Very good, Carlos. He actually begins to introduce a solution. In fact, what's his solution? Notice this. Let Pharaoh do this. Let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt. Seven plentiful years. I mean, just think about this. This is what he had learned as a slave and as a prisoner. He had learned to economize. He had learned to save. He had learned to save um, his crops and the crops of you know, Potiphar from destruction. He understood accounting very well. That as soon as the problem is introduced, he immediately has a solution ready to go. Joseph was prepared for this moment. Let's see what it says right here. Of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming. And store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh. And let them keep food in the cities. Then let that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. This is such a powerful thing, friends, because Joseph was more than prophecy's problem causer, he was prophecy's problem solver. You know, there are many Adventists that have a perspective of Bible prophecy, and that is, we just got to tell people the problems of prophecy. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, there's a lot of bad stuff coming. God bless you. <laughs> Destruction's coming upon the land. Good luck. <laughs> now you think I'm joking. But the reality is, there are a lot of people, a lot of Adventists that have this perspective. Our job is to solely just tell people judgment's coming, the problem is here, without providing a solution. Friends, you want to know something about Adventism that I'm starting to understand more and more? Is that Adventism actually contains solutions for the world. Adventism is actually a problem-solving religion designed by God. And this is such a powerful thing because Seventh-day Adventists are called to be problem-solvers for the issues of this world. By the way, when you study out the life of Christ, do you remember the very first miracle that took place? It was at the wedding of Canaan, right? When Jesus shows up, the mother says, they ran out of Welch's grape juice, right? I think that's the translation. Well, they ran out of grape juice, right? And you know what she says? She tells the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus do another, any miracle prior to that time? How does she know he would fix the situation then? He didn't do a single miracle up to that moment. What did she understand about Jesus growing up? He was a problem solver. Friends, I say this is because God calls his people to be problem solvers. 
And there is a whole host of problems and new ones that are going to be emerging in the coming year. God wants to use his people to provide solutions. Case in point, you know, I'm somebody that doesn't look, it may not look like it, but I like to work out a lot, okay? I like going to the gym. And I'm somebody that, you know, as soon as I could buy really, really bad GNC products, I would. You guys know what GNC is? What's GNC? Yeah, it's called waste of money. <laughs> right? You go by the GNC shop, and there'll be this guy there, buff guy, and there's this advertisement, try our new glutamine, cetamine, lutamine, and get these big muscles overnight. Everybody's like, okay, I'll, here's my money, take it right now. I'll get buff overnight. So I grew up, I was somebody, when I work out, I would take a lot of this protein powder, these mass gainers. As you can tell, it's obviously work, right? <laughs> I mean, I would take all this stuff. I mean, it would just be many times I'd just be putting the powder in and I wouldn't even mix it very well and I'd be drinking it. It just gets caked all over my face. Now, you're laughing right now. You're laughing. But there are a lot of people, and this is very interesting. You know what they're discovering about bodybuilders who now take these supplements? They're dying around the age of 40 of cancer because they're not putting good stuff in their body. They're putting junk in their body. Junk. And so they're getting these temporary results, but in the end, they die a very short life. And so I was like, okay, you know, I was like, no more taking this junk. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. I'm going to look for vegan protein powders. <laughs> Let me tell you something. You need a checkbook when you go buy those things. You go to the store, 50 60 $70 for these things. And I was like, I can't buy this stuff. You know, it's too expensive. I don't want to take that junk and I can't afford this other stuff. And by the way, it's missing some of the stuff I want. So you know what I did? I said, I need to problem solve right here. So I went online. And after a long time of research, I made my own plant-based powder. And not just any kind of plant-based powder. I used elements of powders I had brought in the past. I made some stuff, and it's secret. I'm not telling you what it is. <laughs> Now you're thinking, okay, what's the big deal, right? So I went on Instagram one day and I took a picture of my vegan protein powder, 36 grams with, you know, kale, also part of that kale powder. And I was like, okay, cool. And it tastes really good. I've actually given it to bodybuilders and I've given it to marathon runners and cyclists and they absolutely love the stuff. This isn't an advertisement. I'm just simply saying this is what it is. <laughs> So I took a picture, I put it on Instagram, and I put in these different hashtags, and I put plant-based powder, vegan protein powder. Very next day, I got multiple messages saying, can I buy your protein powder? I'm looking for something like this. I need something like this. I need this. And I was like, I was getting even like, hey, who are you selling? You know, which company are you using to sell this? And I was thinking to myself, I'm not selling it, actually. And then it crossed my mind, maybe I am, right? No, but, no I'm not selling it. I'm not selling it. But I realized something. I'm like, people are looking for something better. Listen to this phrase, something better. Problem solving is finding something better. You are very intelligent people. I know that, number one, you're here, right? Number two, you guys love the Lord. You don't wanna just, it's not just about making money, it's about providing something better. The world right now is looking for solutions. 
Do you know, at where I had our church plant, we started it. One day we went to the city. We sat down at their board, at their business meeting, and it was very interesting, their town hall meeting. And uh, they spent a lot of time just talking and mulling over things. I turned to one of my Bible workers and I said, I want you to pay attention to this. They said, what? Notice how inefficient this is. I said, okay. Then we sat down, we talked to some of these board members later on, and they said, hey, you know, if you guys need any help doing any kind of health-based stuff, let us know. And they, oh, what? So yeah, we've been looking for a faith-based group that's interested in health. Now think how specific that is, right? <laughs> a faith-based group that loves health, that promotes health, right? Right? Like, yeah, we can provide it. And this is what they said to us. This is amazing. They said, could you do a cooking school for us? We're like, yeah, we could. And then they said these words. This is the funny part. How many months do you need to prepare? And I said, months? They said, how many months? And I looked at my friend, Bible worker. I was like, we're Seventh-day Amis. We can do it tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, cooking schools. You know what I mean? It's, it's part of children's Sabbath school these days. You know what I mean? You hear what I'm saying? And they were so shocked because they were looking for a solution. And you know what's so amazing? Not only did they pay for that cooking school, they pay for many of our health-based programs. And guess what? We don't hide or shy away from the fact that we are Seventh-day Adventists. It is the brand name right here. This is a Seventh-day Adventist cooking school, and the city pays for it. We did a 5K sponsored by Seventh-day Adventists. They paid for it. We did a health seminar. They paid for the facilities. They're putting out thousands of dollars. You want to know why? Because they have a problem. The problem is health. They don't know who can answer that solution. And guess what? Seventh-day Adventists, you are called to be problem solvers. People are looking for something better. And in Adventism, you will find that. And when we shared the principles of Adventism, people are blown away. Wait a minute, where did you get something like that? In fact, one day I went to a Sabbath school. It was a, not a Sabbath school, it was a Sunday school. And uh, I sat down there first, you know, during their um, Sunday school. And, uh, you know, go in there and you answer those questions. And, you know, you just love people. And, and, you know, I was just answering my questions. And what they didn't know is that I was quoting a lot of Ellen White. But I didn't say Ellen White, you know. And... Uh, the, the Sunday school teacher, at the end, he says, man, you should be teaching our class right now. And it's not because of me. There's nothing special about me. I'm simply sharing what God has already given to us. Are you listening to what I'm saying to you right now? Joseph wasn't prophecy's problem causer. He was prophecy's problem solver. The world right now is looking for solutions, and especially among young adults, there's sort of an entrepreneurial spirit right now where, where you're looking to provide something better. And the, the principles of where you can find something better is in Adventism. It is very much a problem-solving movement, and I absolutely love it. And as Joseph was called to be that, so we are called to be that as well. The Bible tells us about Joseph's life. And for many years, during this time, of uh, plenty and then famine, God took care of Egypt. But it was during that time, and this is interesting, I'm going to ask a question. Do you think at that time, Joseph could have gone back and saw his father? 
I'm sure when he was a slave or a prisoner, he was ready to get out. But now when he actually had the opportunity, did he go? Did he take off? Did he even send a message? What did Joseph finally understand? What did he understand? What is it? Waiting on God? He learned to trust that God would bring things about in his own way. And sure enough, do you know what happened during that time of famine? The brothers of Joseph show up. And through some various circumstances, a reunion takes place. But my favorite part of the story is this, is when Jacob discovers his son is really alive. And when you're reading this, this kind of moment when Jacob comes closer to his son and recognizes after all these years that he thought he was dead, his son was still alive. And this is such a powerful thought because jo jo Jacob said, and he said, indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down and buy that place. Excuse me, we already got past that part. When you get to the place where there's a reunion, when Jacob finally hugs his son Joseph, it's such a powerful thing. You want to know why? Because it then tells us that Joseph told the family, hey, come live in Egypt. Do you know how long Jacob actually lived in Egypt before he died? 17 years. Now, why is that important? The best 17 years of his life was with his son, Joseph. And then his son was taken away. He's reunited with his son and he's allowed to relive those 17 years. God restored to Jacob the best years of his life before he died. 17 years he was allowed to spend again with his son. And this is such a powerful thought because these are such interesting words. In the end, you'll find the beginning again. In the end, God will bring it full circle. He'll bring you right back to that place. And you'll look back. When you step back and you'll see the grand scope of what God has done for you. And you will praise God for the life He's given to you. Amen. Do you remember what I said to you earlier? That we are being led... As, if we, as the way we'd want to be led if we could see what God has seen. This is the life that God gives and offers to His people. And when He says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope, that promise applies to every son and daughter of Adam. Amen. I want to end with this story, or analogy, you could say. And it's very interesting. You go to different parts of India, and uh, I've been there a number of times. And you get to different parts of India, and there's some curious things that you encounter in India. I remember one time I was going through this village, and I was going through this village, and I was just looking for something to buy so I could wear. I wasn't looking for anything exquisite. I, I didn't want to do that. So I wanted something that was more simple. As I w went walking through the village, there were people selling Indian food. 
There was people selling trinkets and saris. And it's just that very ethnic sort of feel as you're walking through the village, right? And all of a sudden I stopped and I noticed something. It was a place where they were selling saris. Beautiful cloths that women wrap around themselves with designs, beautiful designs. As I stopped, I watched how they were making those saris. You see, there was a young man who was seated on the floor and in between him and his father, who was seated on this stool, there was this wheel and these strings. And this contraption, what it did is that it made the saris. But the way it worked was quite interesting. You see, the son that was sitting on the floor, he was just looking at the father the whole time. He wasn't trying to make the design. He was simply following the father's instruction to put the string here, or the string here, or the string there. And as he looked at his father and watched the father's instruction, he kept putting the string where it needed to be, the threads. And as the threads get placed in a certain spot, all of a sudden this beautiful design begins to slowly emerge from the sari that comes out. You see, the son didn't have the design in his mind, but the father did. The son's job was simply to respond and follow the direction and the guidance, even if it didn't make sense or wasn't clear. But as he carried it out, a beautiful design was being produced that was in the mind of the Father. Friends, when we open up ourselves to say, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done, and we respond to God's directions, and we carry out what God has given to us to do in the work that lies near us, to commit our ways to God, to watch for indications of providence, we will see the beautiful thing that God is making in our lives. Friends, do not think to yourself that somehow you are disqualified from what God can do in your life. In fact, the people that think those thoughts are precisely the people that God wants to use the most. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, as we... Just conclude with the beautiful story of Joseph. Thank you, Lord, for his faithfulness. And thank you, Lord, for your spirit that worked in his life and his faithfulness that inspires what we should do. God, even when things don't make much sense to us, and even when it's uncomfortable, Lord, help us to follow your directions and trust the design you have in your mind. Lord, bless each person. May they leave with hope, knowing what you can do for them. Thank you, God, for hearing prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org.